So our question this afternoon then, uh, who is the father? And firstly, as Jonathan has said so well this morning, it's not possible uh, for us to answer that question unless he reveals himself to us. And the reason we're all gathered here today is because he has. That's the good news, praise God. He's chosen to reveal himself through his son by his spirit. And even in that phrase, we have all three members of the Godhead. They have the us of the Godhead. And so that's very important um, because the Bible talks so much really about the family and the family of God. So in that sentence, really, uh, we see confirmation that it's not, it's not possible to answer the question, who is the Father, without referring to the Son and the Spirit. It would be a bit like me talking to my wife, Nicola, about my children. It just doesn't make sense. So every person of the Godhead functions as an us, not an I. And we saw that this morning in Genesis where God didn't say, I shall make man in my image, in my likeness. He said, come, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And I think we can't, in fact, hope to understand who the Father is without thinking from a family mindset. For it's only by the Spirit, through the Son, that we can know the Father. In fact, Jesus said, no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. And we'll look at that statement later. So my heart for today, and I know this would be Paul and Jonathan would feel this the same, is that it's not just a day to get information about God, but to encounter him. Praise God, to have that encounter with him. Not about the accumulation of, of information. Um, so at the end of the day, we can say, how blessed are we? For we can see something that flesh and blood did not reveal to us. Isn't that what they said about, the Lord said about Peter? But that your Father in heaven has revealed to you. Now this afternoon, we all want the Holy Spirit to show us more of how these questions we're asking. Who is God? What is man? Who is the Father? How do those questions relate to what's happening in your family and my family right now? All the problems that you've tried to put out of your mind coming to an event like this, how do they help us? And I have to say that, as has been said this morning, those questions are so fundamental to who we are that the answer to those questions, the encountering of us with him, actually reveals so much of why these issues are in our life and what's happening in our life. Uh, these questions are the very root from which springs forth the lives we are leading. Remember that scripture, Proverbs 4, where it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And that Hebrew word issues means borders. Nobody here can live beyond the borders of what you have believed. And so in a profound sense, everybody here is actually living the life you're believing in. Praise God. And so this morning, or this afternoon rather, if we find that our lives are not at rest in Christ today, then our prayer would be, Lord, expand our borders. Let us know you more. Praise God. For it's in knowing him that we are transformed. And he does that the Holy Spirit, that is, by leading us into knowing the Father more, uh, to know his goodness, to know his generosity. And the more our hearts know him like that, the more our hearts enter a deep rest, an even deeper rest. Only the revelation of the generosity of God leads men to have a metanoia, a total change of believing about who God is that causes them to cease to grasp for life to try and save themselves. 
That was spoken of this morning too. Uh, you know, the temptation of the enemy. Well, go ahead, produce a life for yourself. No, praise God. And until we see what a wonderful work he has done in saving us, our hearts will never be at rest. Your heart will always be trying to save yourself. So in the words of the Apostle Peter, this growing knowledge of the Father through the Son literally delivers us from the corruption that is in this world through lust. Do you remember where that phrase comes from? The root of all the corruption in this world is the lie that God has left us to save ourselves. That he's not a good father. And until the power of that lie is broken in a man's heart, he can't help trying to save himself. And that's why the Holy Spirit is here today and every day to help us see clearly who the Father is. He is the one who has not left us to save ourselves. Let me read how Peter says that so powerfully in that uh, truth expressed in his second letters. This is Second Peter chapter 1 from verses 2 to 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think those are the three of the most powerful words in Scripture. Has given all. That will put your heart to rest, praise God, in knowing what sort of father we have. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now that lust there is not just talking about, we normally use that word lusting, lusting after a woman or lusting after a car. It's talking about a, a deep-seated hunger for life, a grasping for life, like a man who's drowning would lust for life. So here's the revelation. God is a father who has given all, who has already provided for all of our needs in Christ. This is the God that David wrote about in the Psalm when he said, I shall not be in need. He makes me to lie down. He provides for me, even in the presence of my enemies. Look what has been provided for me right there in the worst moment of my life. That's the revelation of who our Father is. The revelation of God is our loving Father, who has already given to us in Christ all that we need for life and godliness. That revelation of the Father has the power to affect every aspect of our lives and deliver us from grasping in this world for life, which is the fruit of believing the lie that God has left me to save myself, to attain to his life by my own strength. You know, when I wrote those words, every aspect of your life, knowing the Father will bring to peace every aspect. You know what popped up in my spirit? Your driving. <laughs> I immediately thought my driving. I thought, you know, you know, sometimes when we proclaim the truth, up will come, well, what about your driving? What about the way you drive, Phelan? That doesn't look like peaceful. That looks like you're grasping to get somewhere, you know? Now, you know, the Holy Spirit's not the accuser of the brethren. He didn't say it like, what about your driving? It's just, in fact, that when you're filled with the Spirit of God, things come up that shouldn't be there. And America, I think in the southern states especially, I read once that they have a season where everything floods. And when the floods come and everything rises, the rivers rise, farmers call it critter season. Because all the critters, all the rats and the varmints, because the water rises, they all come out of their holes and they all climb the branches of trees and farmers get the shotguns out and they just pick them off. Critter season, praise God. So the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, all the stuff that just does not resonate with the truth, 
It appears. Sometimes it appears on your tongue. Isn't that right? Praise God. So unless we grow up to know our Father the way Jesus knows him, unless we grow up into the head, Christ, then we will, as Paul warned the Ephesians, we're going to be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine that sweeps through the church to try and tell you what you could do to make the Father give you more. No, look at the cross. (laughs) For if he delivered up his own son and did not withhold him from us, how much will he not give us all things? pertaining to life and godliness. Praise God. You know, Peter, he finished the same letter with the words, do not then fall into error, but grow. That's what we hear today, isn't it? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the best way not to fall into error is to humble ourselves every day, no matter how much we think we know, and say, Lord, show me. Show me again today. We'll never get to the end of that, has been said. You know, we're always growing in that knowledge, and he's here to expand our borders, praise God, and to get to know him more and more and more. So this growth in knowing the Father through the Son comes as the Spirit who comes from God points us to the Son. And that's why we must preach the gospel to the church, not just to the world, but to each other every day, for it is as we continue to behold Christ as the Father's view and opinion of us, then his glory given to us, then the fruit of his life grows in us. I'll say that again. It's as we behold Christ, praise God, that we are transformed from glory to glory. The spirit of this world, you see, points men to themselves. It lifts up and idolizes the individual. You know, turn on your television, open the paper. Who are the people who are being idolized? Self-made men and women. Look what they've done. They've raised themselves up. But we have not received the spirit of the world. We have received the spirit that comes from God that we may know the things which have been freely given to us by God. That's 1 Corinthians 2.12. So this revelation that we have a Father God who has in Christ already provided for all of our needs effectively sets us free from ourselves. It brings peace to anxious hearts and so puts to rest the works of the flesh which are born from a heart that's grasping for life. I want to give you an illustration of this. When I wrote that um, about a heart being set to rest, a picture came to my mind of how a revelation of truth can set your heart to rest. Now, I I come from a family of seven children, and when we were young, we didn't often go on holiday because my father was a very busy man, but we all remember one particular holiday we went on, Uh, because one year we got a trailer tent. Does anybody remember trailer tents? (laughs) So I remember this holiday. We went down south on this trailer tent, and there are three things I remember about this holiday. First of all, I remember my mother putting up the trailer tent while my father read the paper. (laughs) All the sons have inherited the same DIY genes as the father, you know. The second thing I remember is once we got to this caravan site, And there was a room there that had all types of games for free. There was table tennis and there was pool. And we thought, this is wonderful, you know. And then the second day we were there, my little sister Noreen came running into the trailer tent shouting at the top of her voice, Dad, Dad, come quick. And she didn't even say what it was, but we all ran out after her. And when we got to this little room, my brother Fergal was standing at the door with a jam jar charging people 5p to get in. And he had like half a jam jar. We were mortified, you know. But the third thing I remember about that holiday, and this is what came to mind when I thought about a revelation of truth putting your heart to rest, 
we got to a little place called Tremor, I think it was in, in County Waterford, and there was a lake there. And you could hire a boat and go out on the lake. And my sister and my brother, uh, Maria and Fergal, they pleaded with Dad to let them go out and row in a boat. And much to the rest of our shock, he said yes. And out they went. She was about, I don't know, 12, and he was about 7. Out they went in this boat rowing, you know, out to the middle of this lake. And lo and behold, the inevitable happened. They fell out about who was going to do the rowing. And both oars fell over the side of the boat. And when this happened, they both started screaming at the top of their voice, we're going to die, we're going to die, you know. The next thing that happens is the man who hired them the boat, he steps into the lake and it's up to his knees. And he walks out. And he looks at the two of them, he takes the boat and he drags them back, you know. They both sat absolutely silent, absolutely mortified. Their hearts had been totally put to rest because they realized the truth. Their father had not left them in a place would they have to save themselves? And when your heart and my heart is persuaded of that truth, that you have not been left to save yourself, your heart too will come to rest, and you will find the works of the flesh will dry up. Praise God. Only when your heart and mind is persuaded that the Father has not left us to save ourselves, will our attempts to save ourselves through our own piety be put to rest. Paul describes such attempts to the Galatians as works of the flesh. And among the more obvious ones, he also mentioned dissensions, divisions, accusations, rivalries, fits of anger. I don't think it's a coincidence that he spoke those words to the very believers who had begun to water down the gospel from Christ alone to Christ plus my work, which in their case happened to be the work of circumcision. When we let men put our performance between us and God, we let them put our performance between us and our brothers as well. Division follows that. So in asking the question, who is the Father? I've said that it's only through the Son, by the Spirit, that we can have a revelation of the Father. But when I use the word revelation, I'm not talking about the accumulation of knowledge, natural knowledge, like a man could study and study and study and study and eventually know the Father. As Jonathan said, you can't climb that ladder, praise God, in that way. It's not something we work out in our head from studying. Man cannot know God as Father without an impartation of the Spirit of Sonship. Yeah. It's only through knowing the Son that we can know the Father, and no man can know the Son unless the Father reveals the Son to him by his Spirit. No man can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 3. So I would go further and say that if we're talking about knowing the Father through the communion, because the nature of God is a communion of persons, and we can only know the Father through that communion, then it should not surprise us that we as individuals best grow in the knowledge of the Father through participation in that communion. That's what we're doing today, actually. Coming and participating in the moving of the Spirit in the body. Participating. Now you might ask, how, how do we participate in this communion of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And I could simply give you an answer and say, well, by faith. But that's a very frustrating answer, especially to men, because we're doers. We like to do something. It's our default nature. Maybe you met somebody this morning you didn't know, and you say, well, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? We define ourselves by what we do. So it's very frustrating to simply say, well, as it were, by faith. We always want to do something. And that's because we've grown up under the spirits of the world, which always points us to ourselves as our hope. Our default position is to cry out to Jesus what everybody said to him. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. But what must we do? Tell us what to do to do the works of God. Do you remember Jesus' answer? 
His reply didn't appear very practical to natural men, for John records Jesus as replying, Only believe in God and him who he has sent. You see, the Father, the Spirit of the Word, rather, will point you to yourself. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit never point you to yourself. Jesus, as here and in other places, he'll point you to the Father or to himself, or he'll speak of the spirits. The Father will point you to the Son by the Spirit. The Spirit will point to the Father and the Son. But none of them ever point you to you or leave your hope in you. And that can be very frustrating to the natural man who's determined to justify himself. Think how strange Jesus' answer seemed to Nicodemus when Nicodemus asked the how question. Okay, we hear all this teaching, but come on, how, how, how does a man become born again? How is a man born from above? John 3 records Jesus' answer. Now, if you ask that question to many um, believers today, they will fall over themselves to point you to yourself. They will point to your repentance, your obedience, your faith, your holiness. Now, those things are important, but that's not the first place Jesus pointed to. Do you remember what he said? He pointed to the Holy Spirit. To the question, how must a man be born again? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You can hear its sound. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now that's an amazing sort of enigmatic reply, isn't it? If, you, if you're honest, when was the last time you heard a preacher when asked by someone, how can I be born again, reply, well, that's the work of the Spirit. You're not going to make the Spirit do something. The Spirit will do what the Spirit will do. You don't control the wind. You can't make the wind do what you want to do. So too, we can't dictate to God today how he will answer when we ask a question, even a question like, who is the Father? But what we can say is that his answer will not point us to ourselves, for that would be to leave our hope on ourselves. Jesus, you see, he knew Nicodemus was a religious man. Any religious man here? We love to do. Nicodemus was a doer. He was looking for something to do. That's the boast of the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Whatever you tell us to do, we will do. You see, the law points you to yourself. And if it does its job properly, then all your boasting will cease. And you will bow your head and you say, Lord, I am not capable of doing what I ought to do. But the gospel is good news precisely because it doesn't point you to you. Paul pointed out that difference, you know, when he, when he, when he preached at uh, Antioch and Pisidia and when he cried out to the people by him speaking of Jesus by him all that believe are justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses so all I'm saying is that whatever question we ask God today or any day his answer is not going to point us to ourselves Christ is the revelation that God has not left us to save ourselves and certainly not by our intellect not by the accumulation of of years of knowledge about good and evil. Now I apologize if what first comes to mind when I say that is church, the accumulation of years of knowledge about good and evil. Christ did not die that the Father would have many students, but many sons. The Holy Spirit was never the one who pointed us to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He leads us to Christ, the tree of life. The law can beget students but only the gospel can beget sons. That's why Paul declared to the Corinthians, I begot you through the gospel. Do you remember that? Through the gospel, I became your father. You have 10,000 instructors, 
but not many fathers. We'll come back to that in our later session on sons. So we have all our questions today, but the heart of God for us today and every day is that we would not merely find an answer to your question, but that we would know an encounter with he who answers. That's different. Remember the burning bush Moses asked, who are you? What was the reply? I am that I am. Now for Moses, that was a bit of a problem, you see, because he's thinking, oh, hang on a minute, I need to stand before men <laughs> and they're going to ask me who sent you. I need an answer. God knew he needed more than an answer. When God speaks his words are spurred in their life. He's the God who was never going to leave Moses to stand alone. Praise God. He was the God who was going to stand with them. Praise God. What he could not see yet, Moses, was this God whose voice he heard would be with him when he stood before men. To believe in him is to participate in his life, to allow his life to be born in us. When this God speaks, the proper response is the response of Mary. Let it be done unto me according to your word. See, the angel Gabriel never asked Mary to produce Christ, but to bear Christ, and promised her that would be a work of the Spirit, not a man. The gospel is not an exhortation to produce Christ. Rather, it is the very power of God unto salvation, for it is through the proclamation of Christ as the life that men and women, by the power of the Spirit, are born of the Spirit, born from above, born from the Father into his life. So to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is not to present men with the promise of God, but with the presence of God. I remember several years ago I was preparing a message and uh, I was writing and actually obviously typing probably, and I typed something and I thought it was quite good and immediately the Holy Spirit checked me. I just knew there's something wrong with what, I, with what I've just written. So I read it back again. What did I write? I wrote these words. I want you to imagine God speaking this to you. Lord, what's wrong with that? Do you know what he said? He said, I didn't fill you with my Holy Spirit so you could tell men to imagine me speaking to them. I filled you with my Spirit so I could speak to them. Who is the Father? He is the giver, the one from whom all good gifts come. And he so desires to give that he gives all he has to give. For God so loved the world that he gave all that he had to give for what more is there than his very own life, his very own son. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Praise God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he speaks, life comes forth. His empowering presence, his grace, his words are life-giving. Jesus said it like this, man cannot live in bread alone, but in every word that keeps proceeding, keeps flowing, from the mouth of the Father. Let me put that a different way. The Father is the one who loves us so much that he cannot bear to be apart from us. He does not know how to love us apart from coming in person. He does not know how to love us apart from coming in person. If you had a child who was in the hospital sick tonight, would you be content to send them a text? Thinking of you, hope you get well soon. Love, Dad. Would you be content to say that? What about an email? What about a phone call? Your heart would never be at rest until you came in person. That's the heart of the Father. Who is the Father? The one whose love does not allow him to stand back from us. Love comes in person. 
Without knowing that heart of the Father, you will always think of the grace of God as something that God sends in the place of his presence. No, love comes in person. His grace is his empowering presence. In fact, according to Strong's definition, the influence of the divine upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. Here is the hallmark of the filling of the Holy Spirit, a profound gratitude. A life full of thanksgiving. If you said to me, Phelan, who's the most anointed person in your church? Who's the one most full of the Holy Spirit? I'll simply walk to the person who's most thankful. Most thankful in all seasons. That's the mark of the Holy Spirit. There is so much to say to the question, who is the Father? But again, knowing his heart, surely he is the Father who wants none of us to leave here with merely an answer. (laughs) I saw a social media post of a quote which was supposed to be by Bob Marley. It said this, some people are so poor they only have money. Some Christians are so poor they only have answers. Who is the Father? Again, knowing his heart, he is the Father who wants none of us to leave here with merely an answer. He wants us to leave more aware of his presence with us than when we arrived. Anybody say amen to that? You know, for years I thought it must be the most tragic thing in the world to get to the end of your life and to think, oh my goodness, I I never achieved what I wanted to achieve. But you know, as the years went by, I realized there was something much worse to get to the end of your life and realize that the most important thing was under your nose the whole time and you missed it. My father was told a story. Well, he told me this story. He had a classmate who qualified as a vet in Dublin with him in 1957. And in those days, um, vets normally worked single-handedly. So they worked round the clock. There was no group. You were working night and day, you know. So my father worked that hard. But a friend of his has given him a warning. What his friend told him was that he had worked that hard too until one day it came to the moment when he walked his daughter up the aisle of the church on her wedding day. And as he walked her up, he realized, my God, I don't even know this girl. And he wept all the way up the aisle. Do you know that it's so possible to be busy during the years working so hard at being a good Christian that you can live unaware of the presence of him who desires nothing more than to be known by you, for you to live in the presence of a love that will melt your hard heart and cast out all fear. I remember once years ago, there was a World Apostolic Conference in the Hayes Centre in Derbyshire, I don't know if you remember this, Jonathan. I remember the Zulu dancing. That's all I remember from it. All these people Zulu dancing around the, around the room. But I also remember something else. That there was a pastor from America who stood up and said something. It sent a chill through my bone. He said, We speak with such familiarity about a God we barely know. That was sobering. Genesis 17 records something that Abraham cried out to God for his son Ishmael. You remember, he had a son by the flesh, and God said, that's not going to be the way my destiny for you is going to be outworked. It's not through the fruit of your flesh. And Abraham cried out to God about Ishmael. And verse 18 of Genesis 17 in your Bible, it's normally written that Abraham cried out, Oh God, that Ishmael would live before you. But I found a, a different translation, International Standard Version, and it really touched my heart because it's such a wonderful illustration of what covenant is. 
It says that Abraham cried out, O God, if only Ishmael would live in the constant awareness that you're always with him. It's a different life. We live in the information age. We are the first generation to have access at our fingertips to more information than all the previous generations of men. Every man here probably has that in his pocket now in his mobile phone. And I think there's a great danger in this age that we can learn to live in the presence of information about God, but miss living a life in the presence of God. You know, this week is such a beautiful week. And earlier this week, our daughter Hannah was back from Edinburgh. And so she brought us to one of her favorite places, which is Port Stewart. And, you know, during lockdown, they closed the border to Donegal. So we got to know Port Stewart is a beautiful place. There is the most beautiful walk there along the cliffs before the sea, you know. And, of course, on a day like it was, a beautiful sunset, we immediately started to try and capture that moment with our phones we took our phones out and we we're trying to capture the sunset. And you know what? No matter what we did, it just wasn't enough. We just couldn't. It was very frustrating. We just couldn't capture an image that would sum up the beauty of what we were looking at. And what we ended up doing was wasting that precious time on our phones. We wanted our phones to add something to the moment, but they only seemed to take away something from the moment. Is it not equally true that it is possible that we can focus so much on the way we're doing church what the worship sounds like, what the preacher sounds like, how many people are there, that very often we can run the risk that all of our efforts to capture something can estrange us from the reality of his presence freely given right now. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths, the word says. How much more straightforward my life and your life would be if every decision we made was born from an acknowledgement of his presence rather than spend our lives trying harder to get his attention as if he's a neglectful father. Was that not the difference that day between Martha and Mary? The harder Martha worked for the Lord, the further she fell from him. So much so that eventually her lonely heart cried out to the Lord, Don't you care that I've been left alone? I find in my own life that is the cry I feel rising in my heart in seasons when I'm involved in too much ministry and haven't spent that time sitting in his presence. Lord, look, there's so much to do and there's nobody to help me. Jesus' reply to me and to you is the same as he gave to Martha. To every tired and lonely heart, he says, you're worried and upset about many things. But this one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better parts. It will not be taken from her. To grow in the awareness that your father is so good, he has not withheld his presence from you, believer. Brothers, we may live in the selfie generation, but let us not live like men who are afraid that life is passing them by and must be grasped. Rather, let us live as men who have been grasped by life himself and who live by the strength of of Christ's grip on us, not our grip on him. Let us not be working so hard to capture his presence, his provision, that we end up like the elder brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, crying out, Don't you see me, Father? I've been left all alone, serving you for years and getting precious little for it as far as I can see. And to such a cry from his church, would not the Father say what he's always said to such cries? then receive my spirit and see further. 
See further than your lack. See further than the natural realm. See Christ. See my provision. See my life. See what I see. For here is what I see. You're always with me. And all that I have is already yours. You know, when he spoke those words into my life some years ago, they changed my vision, changed my perspective on him. I used to think it was my performance that earned his attention, his gaze. But now in the words of David, I have become like a weaned child on my mother's knee. Several of you this morning, I showed a photograph of my new granddaughter. I've become a grandfather, praise the Lord, five weeks ago. And last week, um, my son told me that they'd been to the doctor and he said that little Ava had put on a whole pound in one week. I don't think that's very impressive. I could put that on in an hour, actually. (laughs) If all I did was eat and sleep, which is what she does, eat and sleep, eat and sleep, She cries, you see, in order to be fed. And that will continue until she grows up enough to realize that her parents, the ones from whom she was born, are good enough to feed her without her having to scream for them. But for her grasping for life to stop, she has to be persuaded that this is who her father and mother are, the ones who will not leave her to save herself. Our Father in heaven is a good Father. Christ is the appearing of the truth that he is a Father who never left us to save ourselves. And by his word and by his spirit, we grow up into this persuasion, this faith, the faith that kept Christ on the cross, the persuasion that my Father is good, even if it appears that this world is taking everything from me, even my life, my Father is able to raise me from the dead. That's the faith of Jesus Christ. As we grow up by his Spirit and his words to know who is the Father, we find that even when this world appears to take everything from us, they cannot take his presence from us. For he is whom Christ revealed him to be, the Father who never left us to save ourselves. There was once a day in a city called Philippi where two men turned up to preach the gospel. Their names were Paul and Silas. And I I bet that morning when they got up, and thought about what they're about to do, they probably prayed. What do you think they prayed? Father, give us a good day today. Let's hope it goes well in the marketplace. Pray that people's eyes will be open and their hearts will be open and that the gospel will get a good reception. Well, about four hours later, they've been dragged by their hair through the marketplace <laughs> and kicked and beaten and thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon in that city. And as everybody went to bed that night, I would think that probably there wouldn't be a soul in that city who, when they thought of those two men that day and what had happened to them, would have thought, yeah, God's with those men. No. And yet near midnight, Paul and Silas were in that jail singing their hearts out. Because they had matured to be weaned children. They were no longer looking to the circumstances of this life to tell them whether God was a good father or not. For they had the spirit of sonship in them. And by that spirit they sang. And as they sang, their lives were filled with all the fullness of God. And that cell was filled with the very presence of God. So much so that even the stones in the walls cried out and had to release sons of God from their bonds. And that's the same spirit that we've been given. As Jonathan spoke of this morning. That's the potential in us, praise God, to be filled with the knowledge and the presence 
of such a father who never left us to save ourselves that every bondage, everything, every lie that tries to hold us back that says, well, where's your father now? All of that would fall to nothing when we realize that within us is that river of his presence, which as we bow our heads and just begin to thank him, we know that river just comes forth. So let's finish this first session just by doing that right now. Let's just bow our heads before him. Praise God. Father, we acknowledge your presence in our lives in this moment. And for any man here who feels that you've let him down, that he's been left all alone in a dark place, we pray, Lord, open our eyes today by your Spirit and your Word, that we would see who you really are, the Father who never left us to save ourselves. But he went into the deepest, darkest place of death, and partook of our death through Christ, that we can live partaking of your life, even in the presence of all of our problems and all of our enemies. You lay a table of provision for us, which is your very life, a life that overcomes death. So let our eyes open to what is already ours in Christ, that all of our grasping for life ceases as we experience your life taking hold of us. Let our faith rest today, not in our grip on you, but in your grip on us. Amen. We ask it in Jesus' name.